Good morning. What a, what a privilege to worship, to lift up the Father of lights, from whom is every good and perfect gift, in whom there is no, no change, no shadow of turning. It's a, it's a wonderful thing, and I, uh, I'm, I'm so blessed to be able to, to worship. Didn't our worship team do a great job this morning? Love them so much. Thank you. Another great gift from above that I like to share uh, so often because it's so true to me and such a blessing is uh, our city group. Uh, just the ability to come together, to share simply, to, um, to, to lift each other up in, in prayer is such a blessing. Our blessing is a blessing to gather here together uh, every Sunday morning. But you know, uh, we have been saying for some time that our Sunday, Sunday gatherings are really the result, not the, not the main thing. They're not the source. You know, the source is the Lord Jesus as he gathers us in small groups where we do all those one another commands of Scripture. That means holding one, or one another up in prayer. That means uh, enjoying fellowship with one another, caring for one another. And it's, it's the Lord who creates the community that we have. Now, I believe that in South City Church, I'm not talking about our big gathering so much as I am our, our city groups, I believe that we are experiencing and we will increasingly experience from here forward something akin to the early church, something more like what we read about in the book of Acts, what we read about in the scriptures, how they gathered and how powerful they were on mission. They were so fruitful and I believe that God is very, very purposefully moving us into more of that kind of experience. It's meeting in homes, meeting and having fellowship uh, with one another and enjoying one another. So this morning, uh, to begin this morning's message, I'd just like us to look together at that early church in that classic description in Acts 2, 42 and 43 where we read about them, and I'd just like us to take our temperature and compare our, our, ourself, our, our pulse, our heartbeat. Are, are, we, are we like them, and to what degree? So we read in Acts 2, 42 and 43, and they continued steadfastly, and I'm reading from the NKJ, the New King James Version here. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers, then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. So when we look at that first verse, verse 42, it's easy, easy for me, especially I think for all of us, to identify with what was going on there. They were, they were sharing teaching from the scriptures, and they were engaging together about those scriptures, and they were also in fellowship. And so when I think back to 
the Sorrels, Qualls, Citigroup. Uh, they're our leaders. Uh, and we, we, so we call it the Sorrels Qualls Group. But as I think back to last Sunday's meeting, we enjoyed such good fellowship. And we have really, really good food. Uh, it's not always a meal. Sometimes it's just really good snacks. And that's, that's fun. And uh, as, I, as I think back, um, Kim had made this wonderful tortilla soup with all the fixings. And we really enjoyed that. It was, it was great. But the, coming together and eating, there's something about eating together that binds our hearts in fellowship. And I believe that is so much like the early church and what I want to see us enjoying more and more of. Now back to our comparison in 42. The Holy Spirit also tells us in three very simple words. Not only were they in fellowship, but it, it says, and in prayers. Now, how can I begin to tell you of all the answered prayers uh, that we've in, in, enjoyed in our, in our small group? I remember for me personally, I had a heart attack in June. And I remember laying in the, in the bed in the hospital and feeling the joy of the care of our group and many of you who were not in our group praying for me and here I am standing before you today now that is an answer to prayer for me personally and but I couldn't if I began to tell you of all of the the ways the Lord has answered brother Don as we held him up in prayer and so good to see you here today brother Don and uh and, and yes, um, goodness, um, you know, Heidi and Carl, I couldn't, I couldn't mention Kim and, and Kevin and the things that have been going on in our, in our lives. Um, Ray, Roy, Roy and Janice and the big changes that, that have been in your lives. Ray and Donna, big changes in their lives. And in, in all of these things, these burdens, our heart have been burdened to see these needs and to lift them up before the Father. And when we come back together, there's a, it's a very special time. And I know this is true for every city group that's represented here. And if you're not in a city group, ask the Lord where and how you can connect. Speak to me, speak to Brother Drew, Brother Daryl, uh, Brother Elvis, our pastors. Speak to our pastors and say, where can I find a city group? We'll be glad to tell you and show you different places that you can connect in. So, so the city groups have just been a tremendous um, thing, and it's very, very similar, I think, to Acts 2.42 that we just read. Uh, goodness. But it's all the Lord's doing from start to finish. He's the one that creates this beautiful fellowship we enjoy, and, uh, and we're following him in, in what's going on in our, in our city groups. So we, I think we did. We got a pretty good score, a uh, pretty good report card on Acts 2:42, fellowship and teaching of the apostles' teaching and fellowship and prayer. Um, but how are we doing on verse 43? Let me read this now. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now. Uh, pardon me, but I'm going to give us a brief pass on the many wonders and signs. 
partly because those first apostles are not with us right now, but just a brief pass on that, partly. But how are we doing with these words? Fear came upon every soul. Um, I think we know that the believers in the early church, they trembled before God in awe of who he was and what he was doing among them. I think in a way that we're not used to doing. I, uh, I, I do tremble a little bit before Kim's tortilla soup. I have to admit that. But I don't think we tremble today for quite the same reasons or have the same sense of awe before God who is acting so mightily. Um, you know, in our hearts we know that the early Christians, they were not more special to God than we are. They were not more valuable for the time in which they lived. Our day is just as important, I think you'll agree with me, in God's plan as that day. Our Lord is no less mighty, no less holy, no, no less powerful. So as we take our pulse and our, and our temperature today, um, how do we compare to them? Isn't there a sense that we're somehow a little less than they are in this particular quality? Uh, somehow not quite as intensely devoted? Maybe I could even say, uh, bring an old phrase from the past, or, somewhat, or actually from the Bible, somewhat at ease in Zion? Somewhat. Maybe, maybe too much at ease in Zion. I don't know. But here's something. There's something in these words on which I think we need to focus our attention, focus our hearts. This quality of trembling in awe before God, if it were magnified in you and in me and in our groups, I believe the power and the majesty, the beauty and attractiveness of our Lord Jesus would be even more magnified in our family families. I believe that. And I believe it would even have this quality of spreading to other communities of faith in our city. I believe that it would, I believe that this very quality is essential really to our calling. And it's essential to the power and effectiveness of our mission. So, based on this little test, this little comparison, I just want to say, that I have, a, I have an appeal to you, my first appeal. I have two today. The second one will come a little later. My first uh, appeal to you will say it in one word. Fear. Fear. And more specifically, fear the Lord. Fear the Lord. Fear, you say? Fear? What are you saying? Jeff, you know, why would you want to concentrate on that? See, we live in an age where everything needs to be attractively branded and packaged. In this age when we have to, we have to sell something a little bit better than the church down the, down the way, right? A little bit better, a little bit more smoothly. We have to brand it better. See, in this age... Um, my greatest temptation is not to use the word fear at all. Not even, don't listen, not even go there. I'll use awe. Awe. 
That's a great word, isn't it? Actually, everything's awesome, isn't it? Isn't everything awesome today? So in order to distinguish awesome above just cool, cool, what we do is we add the word totally, right? So I can say, you know, my sweetheart Colleen is totally awesome. And that's the absolute truth, okay? This, but so are our kids, right, Sarah? Okay, I mean, totally awesome is, is, is the truth about my, our kids. And so it's true in every way, isn't it? But you see, I haven't even yet got to grandkids. Now, what am I going to do with the grandkids? Because I've already used totally awesome. Where can I go with this? Hey, there's, there's my, my, my Jordy. Jordy, my grand, uh, Sarah's daughter's here. That's a, such a blessing to me. So I have to say, Jordy, and you can pass this on to your sister and brothers and your brother and, 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 and our other grandkids. You can say that they are, here it is, beyond totally awesome to the nth degree. Okay, that's grandkids, all right? So now we're beyond totally awesome to the nth degree, okay? So we live in an age of superlatives. By the way, those superlatives I just used are totally, absolutely true. Totally, absolutely true. My heart is in it. But awe really once did have an original meaning that was incredible before it became the most popular word going and the most common word on social media. It really did. There was a time when awe meant deep, worshipful reverence. And yes, it had a factor of trembling and fear. It was vital to that word awe once upon a time. Once upon a time. Yep. So today, I've decided not to try to sell you something really cool or totally awesome to the nth degree. I, I'm not going to do that today. I'm not going to cut corners. I'm not going to brand. I'm not going to package. I'm not going to smooth and make it look really nice so that it'll really attract you because I would really like you to get fear at the gut level, at the core of your being. Because I believe, I believe that what we're talking about here is something holy, something elevated, something pure, something cleansing, not fleshly, fleshly panic. That's not the fear we're talking about. We're talking about something wonderful, something powerful, something that changes our, and transforms us, transforms our worship, transforms our witness, transforms our ways altogether. So when we read of the fear of God in the scriptures, and it's all over the scriptures, every time we read the fear of God or fear of the Lord, it's a very, very, very positive thing and always a manifestation of the Holy Spirit. Now, as with wisdom, like there is a wisdom from above we read in James, right, and a wisdom from below, one kind is up from above, and it's holy, and it's pure, and it's, uh, there's another wisdom that's from below, and it's, it's demonic, and it's fleshly, and it's rooted in evil in our old sin nature. So it is with fear. There is a fear from above, 
and there's a fear from below. Uh, so, as I mentioned, the fear from above is pure and cleansing, and it's very, very good. We just sang a song, he's a good, good father. But that doesn't mean we don't have this sense of true awe before him, a sense of reverence, a sense of trembling when we, when, when we approach him. Remember the disciples on the stormy sea? You know, when they, were, they first panicked by the waves that were overwhelming their, their boat? And we picture them with, with just bailing, bailing in panic. Well, that was the first kind. I mean, the first kind of fear was the fear from below. They feared exceedingly, we read. Oh, excuse me. If, uh, uh, just uh, as to that story, when they were on the sea, remember that Jesus spoke the words, peace, be still, and everything became calm. The sea became just like glass. Before his simple words, peace be still to the winds and the waves. And they were. And then we read, and this is in Mark 4, 41. They feared exceedingly and said to one another, Who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? Do you hear the words? They feared exceedingly. Fear from above. That moment when they saw the power, the awesome power of the Lord Jesus Christ in his simple command to the waves and the wind, and whoosh, they obeyed immediately. Goodness. That awe, I believe, accompanied them to the ends of the earth. And you and I are amazed at their power. We're amazed at their fearlessness before evil men as they went forward, fearing God. I believe that fear stayed with them that moment and gave them incredible, incredible power, incredible power. So this is holy fear. This is the fear from above that extinguishes every other kind of fear. The fear of man, of every sort of evil, of all sorts of troubles, financial, emotional, rejections, other things that come upon us, the fear, things we fear in life, this holy fear extinguishes every other kind, every fear of maladies and ills that, that, that affect us, and they are many. Many in this room are experiencing them even right now. Uh, but I believe that this is what empowered Peter to preach so boldly in Jerusalem. Never mind that just a little time before that, on the very night that Jesus was arrested, he is taken with fear of the wrong kind, of the, the lower kind. And he denied Jesus Christ, we know, three times, three times that night. But here, just a little while later, he has this incredible boldness incredible power. What made the difference in his life? Well, not to answer too quickly for you, but what effect would you say a few real encounters with Jesus Christ made on him? Yes, in the company of his fellow disciples. It had a powerful effect on him. How true was this 
not just of Peter, but of the other believers we talked about in the early church. We just read that, that they had this, this fear that was characteristic of them. Well, here's a few other examples from the book of Acts. After Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5 uh, lied to the Holy Spirit and uh, they were taken out dead, we read from Acts 5.11, listen to these words, and great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard these things. Great fear. Saul's conversion on the way to Damascus. He had been persecuting Samaria and Judea and had been hauling Christians into prison. We read Acts 9.31. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in, here it is, the fear of the Lord. Walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. It multiplied. It multiplied. It's our mission, brothers and sisters. Do you hear the connection between the fear that I'm talking about, true awe that I'm talking about, and multiplication? It multiplied. The church multiplied. When God was doing extraordinary miracles through Paul in another place, this is in Acts 19, local wannabe exorcists uh, were getting beat up by demons, and the magicians in the area were going and taking their books and then bringing it out on the streets and put, making, putting big piles and making bonfires out of their books on magic. What in the world was going on? Um, this is what we read in Acts 19.17. This became known to all the residents. This was in Ephesus, by the way. All the res residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks. Listen. And fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. God has convicted me of late that I need more of this kind of fear. I need more of it. If there's an area where I'm struggling with sin, if there's an area where I'm struggling with worry, where I'm, uh, I'm feeling overcome, my problem is that I lack this kind of holy fear from above, this trembling before the Almighty. And I'd like to see our, in our whole family of families come to this same place of awe before our Lord Jesus. Not just knowing that he can, with just a word, calm the wind and the waves, which allegorically speaking are in all of our lives, for the troubles, the trials, the pressures that we're experiencing. It's the wind and the waves of the world. Not just that knowing that he can do that, but remaining utterly in awe in the good sense of the word, the old sense of the word, awe, utterly in awe of his power and glory, even if he does not. Even if he does not, to remain in awe of who he is, his power. So could it be 
that the C minus on our report card in comparison to the brothers and sisters of that, of that first century are because of what we allow to come into our hearts, our minds, our souls that we see on the news, that we see in social media, that we witness in the stores and on the streets, could it be that the winds of the world are blowing more strongly on me and on you than the winds of heaven? There may be something that we need to look at correcting here. How does this impact our mission, friends? How does it impact our mission? Could the lack of the fear of the Lord in my life be affecting the power of my message, of who I am, of how I live? It is not our inability to say, Jesus is Lord, as much as our inability to do, to consciously and proactively surrender every area of our life to His Lordship. If we did, how would this impact our mission? If the world cannot see a difference in the church, where will it go for answers? Here's a question for any brother or sister in Christ. Are you struggling with the sin that keeps you in a pattern of commission, confession, and repentance? You lack awe. You lack fear before His holiness. His holiness is a real thing. It's, a, it's who He is. His awesome power. His great love. You're struggling. You can't let it go. You repent. There it is again and again and again. You lack awe. You lack fear. You've lost sight of His perfect love. You've lost sight of the unimaginable cost of your redemption. I've been there. I have been there. I know that struggle. I know it. Jesus said this time to the men, he said, if you look on a woman with lust, you've already committed adultery in your heart. What was Jesus doing? He was awakening, awakening the conscience of a generation. If you have hatred for another in your heart, you've committed murder. He's awakening the conscience of his generation. Awakening them. And to say nothing of every generation since then in our generation, he awakens us because he's pointing us to the beauty and the perfection of the law of God that we all violate continually. Now, how much did the Lord Jesus want to see this quality of, of fear in his disciples? Well, if you look at his teaching on discipleship, you're not going to find anything in Jesus' teaching that sells well when he's talking about discipleship. You can read any passage on discipleship, and there's nothing here that's going to fly off the shelf. There's nothing here that's branded well. There's nothing here that's attractive for you. 
And if that's the way you need to hear discipleship from Jesus Christ, then you need to go looking for another place, I believe. Don't go to him. He didn't speak attractively when he talked about discipleship. Listen, this is from Luke 9, 23 and 24. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And he spoke in an, in an era when the word cross was something people could look up and see people hanging on them, suffering and dying a slow and horrible death. Another place, and that was from Luke 9, 23, and this is from Mar, uh, Matthew 10, 28. Listen to these words. And do not fear, and by the way, it's in the context of a message to his disciples. And he told them, do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot, cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. How can we regain this quality, dear friends, of fearing the Lord? In your quiet time, practice being still before him in awe. Worship Jesus in the beauty of his holiness. The increased awareness of his presence with you and your fear of God, the good fear, he's a good, good father, will make you an overcomer. It's true. But I want you to know, you know that sometimes parents will tell their children, God is watching you. God is watching you, you know. And we have to be careful not to make the, the Lord out to be an ogre, right? We have to, we have to be careful here. Um, I believe that the Lord is watching us, but I believe that he watches us in love. He, he knows that we'll fail him. He knows we're, we're not going to be perfect. He knows. He, he knows that. And so he watches us as he did with Peter. He knows in advance what, what Peter, Peter was going to deny him. He knew that. We all fail, and the Lord knows that. So spend time in his loving presence, confessing your sins, your fears, your failures, remembering how he spilled his precious blood to cover all of your, your wrongs, all in advance on that terrible cross. Confess your sins continually to him. There's a, there's a story actually about God watching us, you know, that, that, that I think is, is, uh, is helpful. It, it, was at a, uh, it was a picnic for a Catholic school. Mother Superior had put out a stack of apples on a table, and she put a sign before the apples saying, Take just one. God is watching. Now, on the other end of the table, somebody had put a big pile of cookies. And a second-grade student had come up with a, made a little sign for the cookies. He said, take all the cookies you want. God is watching the apples. <laughs> so be careful with, with, with telling people that God is watching. He's not an ogre. He's a, he's a loving, 
good, good Father. He wants you to spend time before Him. And He wants to, you to have that beautiful cleansing quality of the fear of God, pulling no punches, making nothing here to sell, telling you that I need this quality more in my life and you need this quality more in your life. And God will restore to us the experience of our brothers and sisters who had this quality so richly that I read in the many places in the books of Acts that we know it was there, and we also know that our report card isn't as good as it could be. It needs to improve. So the first appeal was, fear not. I'm, I'm sorry. My first appeal was fear. My second appeal is, fear not. Okay? Fear the Lord. Second appeal this morning. Fear not. Fear not man. Fear not mankind. They're a mess. They're a mess. Listen, our times are changing so fast. I just want us to take a, a, a little bit of time to look at the world around us and know that in this world around us are all the harbingers of the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. His coming is sooner today than when we first believed, brothers and sisters. And that's why I want you to, to restore this awe before the Lord so that we can face the things that are coming, the things that Scripture have predicted for us. Here are some of them. Violence, looting, civil unrest, now actually encouraged by our highest officials in office and politicians. Couldn't have said that just a few years ago. But you've seen an age of lawlessness has, has come upon us like we've never known before. Government overreach and creating a fear-based society. Not fear of God, no. Fear of illness, being marginalized, not having the right papers. All of these things are going on as we watch. These are the very things that are predicted in Scripture as a harbinger of the coming of Jesus. Globalism. You know, a lot of people believe national borders, both in Europe and in Africa and other places all around the world. It's not just here in America. But borders need to dissolve. Why? So we can have a more global government. And so... How do they weaken the borders? Mass migration and other means by just ignoring lawlessness. But you know, it's interesting that prophecy tells that there is a lawless one that's coming. And, and, and to give you a sense of how global that lawless one coming is, listen to these words from Revelation 13. You know them well. I'm repeating them this morning because it's, it's on target here. It was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And authority was given him over, listen, every tribe, tongue, and nation. All who dwell on the earth will worship him, whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Of the world. Do you fear the Lord enough? Is your name written in the book of life? As soon as a person turns to the Lord Jesus Christ in faith, knowing that he shed his blood on that cross on Calvary and rose again from the dead, 
when you put your faith in him, open your heart to him, he comes into your heart. He saves your soul and he writes your name in the book of life. And it will be in that book forever. Forever. It cannot be erased. You can't erase it and no one else can erase it. Gender confusion is another harbinger of his coming because it has to do with delusional, reprobate rejection of God's hand in creation. Very simple. The Bible is clear from the very start. There's two genders. I'll read it for you. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Genesis 1.27. Simple. There's only two created genders. Now, I believe that confusion over this leads to unimaginable suffering for so many along so many lines. I am not standing in judgment of anyone who's suffering from gender confusion, just the opposite. I am going to have compassion for the way that they have been confused and lied to and shamed and drawn I don't have any problem with people who have confusion over gender. In this day and age, Facebook presents 58 gender options. Take your choice. Find yours. The BBC did a video for children aged 9 to 12 teaching that there's 100 gender identities. And it's already very, very old news. I won't go on about drag queen story hour and all the things that are happening in our day and age. This is lawlessness, yes, but it's rejection of God's hand in creation. Have compassion. There's a wonderful movie that, you know, it's a documentary called In His Image. I recommend that you read it. You will have compassion for every person that has suffered and has difficulty with gender identity. You will have compassion. It's a great, great documentary, and I recommend that you read it. Um, technology and artificial intelligence is another one. I actually admire people, generally my age and older, who can survive without a smartphone. I don't know how they do it, honestly, because I use mine for shopping, banking, driving guidance, maps, reading books, taking photos, texting, and now and again, I actually use my telephone to make a phone call. And it has a better memory than mine. I think I heard an amen from Coley in the back. So what's the downside of it? I've created a profile of all my beliefs and preferences and habits down to and including how I sleep, when I sleep, and how fast my heart beats, and all of these things. And so this is, this is our tech, age of technology in which we live. And in addition to which, listen, I, uh, I am now using less cash than I ever have in all of my days, my born days. And many of you are too, you're using less cash, okay? Cashless economy is not just coming, I think it's essentially here. Sooner than you think, it's going to be used by a man we already read about called the lawless one, who will be, you know, have authority over every tribe and tongue and nation on the face of this earth. That's, that's coming. And so my telephone will be used maybe against me and someday. And, and so, but the good thing about all of these things, the encouraging thing, is that Jesus coming is nearer than when we first believed. Listen, this is the exciting thing that we have. We have prophecy and we have the scriptures. 
We have the Word of God to awaken the conscience of those with whom we speak with in the outside world, and may the fear of God be so strong in us. Because the reason for all the lawlessness and the things in the harbingers I told you about is because of the lack of that same fear. Now, if you and I lack that fear, then we're like the world, aren't we? But if we regain that fear, how much more will the world have a place to go to, to people who have an answer? Here's the crux, the, the real crux of the matter. The things that you may have loved in the past about your country and your world will not be coming back. But Jesus is. Jesus is. The America that you loved in the past may not return, but Jesus will. And that's the truth. That's the truth. And so as, we, as the Lord is gracious to us and evermore moves us in a direction so that we become more and more like the believers in the early church, and I hope our re report card will someday come back with a B plus or an A minus anyway. We can improve, can't we, dear friends? Listen, that's what we need. Paul, in Romans 3, said these words. I think it's Romans 3.10, but he said, There is no fear of God before their eyes. No fear of God. He's talking about the world at large, the, the, the lost world. They have no fear of God, and that's where all their troubles come from. And it's frankly where many of our own come from. So now if the world lacks the fear of God, how will they find it if we don't have it? We need to restore this quality in our hearts, in private devotions, in our witness before the world. And so in closing, again, my two appeals are, number one, fear. And number two, fear not. Number one, fear the Lord. Number two, fear not man. Fear God, repent. Remember the ACTS acronym that we used? Adoration. Spend time before Him in adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication, ACTS. And fear not man. Don't fear man, but just as Jesus did, Speak boldly to the conscience of people in your circles of influence who lack the fear of the Lord. And may God bless you and, and me as we continue to pursue Him in all of these good things. So their mission may be strong and our word may be powerful in the age that's coming upon us. Let's turn to Him in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Thank you for this time of worship. Thank you for this time that we have to turn to you, to sing to you, to praise you, and to know in our heart of hearts that you are a good, good Father. You are a loving, true God who gave Jesus Christ to us. And Lord Jesus, you're the one who chose to come to be broken, to have your dear and precious blood spilled out for us so that we, in our brokenness, can be with you forever. Thank you for choosing us this way. Lord, give us this quality. We see in Scripture in the early church that we may present you ever more powerfully to the world around us who's lost without you. For all of these good things, we say thank you. Amen.